Well, it's my pleasure to be here for, uh, for Pastor Ken while he's away. And uh, normally, I am on Sundays in Seven Bays, Washington, preaching at a small church there called Lake Roosevelt Bible Church. Uh, and today, Pastor Foy is covering for me out there, and I'm here, so we did the old switcheroo, I guess. Um, but turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, we're going to be looking at one of the least known passages of the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> and we're going to read this whole chapter together, so if you are able and willing, would you stand with me? It's a good 28 verses. We'll take a brief intermission halfway through for drinks and restroom. Okay, well, let's read this together. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just, his, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king, uh, King Darius, that is, and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the, the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel, threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating 
without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all, all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word to us, and pray that in this time you would help me uh, and help us to hear the things that you have to say. So we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, thank you for standing that whole time. I'm excited to teach with you today. Um, this last week has been a sort of a busy week, especially these last two days. Um, I, I went with, uh, with my wife and son. We went to a wedding yesterday over in, uh, in Seattle with our, uh, one of our sound guys, uh, Craig Triplett, uh, just got married. So that was exciting. Um, but it reminded me of how we have all these different responsibilities in, in our life. We have all these different responsibilities, these things that we are drawn to. Um, while we're driving there, um, my wife has certain needs. You know, we need to hit the rest stop a little bit more often than I need to use the rest stop. Uh, my son, he's 11 months old, he has needs, and I need to be faithful to take care of his needs. Um, and then we went over to visit with parents, and I, and I want to be faithful to them and spend time with them. And I want to be faithful to my friend whose wedding I'm going to. And I, meanwhile, I, I wanted to be faithful to my employer, uh, who is Ken, he's my boss here. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I, I spent enough time on my sermon. And there's all these different things that we, we feel like we're getting pulled in all these different directions, and we want to be faithful. And sometimes we don't know how, and we don't know what, what we should prioritize. And I think today, when we look at Daniel, he gives us an idea of where our priorities should be, what it means to be faithful. And ultimately, we get the example of what it means to be faithful from God himself, who is faithful to Daniel. But where are we right now? Where are we in the Bible? We're looking at Daniel. Um, it's not just taking place at some random time. Uh, this is, uh, in the Old Testament, this is uh, some 530 years, 540 years before Jesus Christ comes onto the scene. Um, Judah and Israel both have been taken into captivity. Israel had been taken by the Assyrians in 723 BC, and Judah was taken in closer to 600 BC uh, in three different occasions. So we're sitting here 500 years before Jesus Christ comes into the picture. 
the Jews are in exile, they're in captivity, uh, away from their homeland, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and they're awaiting the day when they get to be back with the Lord. I think all of us have had situations where we're just waiting for God, and it seems like it's so long. I mean, I'm waiting to go to heaven, and I feel like it's, it's so long, um, but there are many things, too. We, we have a job that's not working out quite right, and we're just waiting. God, can you please give me a new job? Please, God, I need a new job uh, or a family situation. God, when will you change this situation? Will this ever get better? Will, it, will this ever be fixed? And we just are waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And this is where Daniel is. This is where Daniel is. He's in this, this time of waiting. Um, but even though they were, the Jews were in a land far from home, God still, uh, on many occasions, was faithful to them. God cared for them. Because as the psalmist wrote, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. I mean, throughout the book of Daniel, so far we're in chapter 6 here, but for the first five chapters, we see God being faithful uh, to those who love him, to those who are righteous in his eyes. We see God being exalted among a pagan people because of the steadfast faith of a few Jews, and, and so God res- comes in and his power is on full display in time of need. In chapter 1, Daniel and his friends uh, were found to be with much wisdom and exalted to a high place. In chapter 2, Daniel was able to interpret the king's dream when nobody else was. And Nebuchadnezzar declared Daniel God of gods and and Lord of lords. In chapter 3, Daniel's friends stood firm, refusing to worship an image of gold. And because of that, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And yet God sent his angel and saved them. There was no mark, no singe on their bodies. God saved them, and Nebuchadnezzar said, no other God can save in this way. In chapter 4, Daniel interprets even another dream, and he warns Nebuchadnezzar of, of his pride, and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen, and Nebuchadnezzar is turned into a beast and eventually repents and, and notes that, uh, that there's nothing in this world that has the power of Daniel's God. And then in chapter 5, right before the Babylonians are conquered and these Medeans and Persians come in to take over the the land, we we read of Daniel, able to interpret the mysterious writing on the wall, which is God's pronouncement of judgment upon the Babylonian king. And Daniel, even there, is honored to the, the third highest position in the land. So God, over and over and over again in this book of Daniel, is showing that he is faithful, that he is powerful, that he is able to care even when it seems like we're waiting, and we're waiting, God, when will you come through? In the meanwhile, though, uh, Daniel wasn't just sitting on his couch. He wasn't just twiddling his thumbs. He was working. I mean, Daniel had worked as a governor and administrator in Babylon for over 60 years. He knew this land, and he worked hard in it. By this time, he's an old man at the time of Daniel, this story, chapter 6 here. He's not a young man. He's not my age. He's probably 80 years old or more, somewhere between 80 and 90 years old, and he's still working. This is a good example. It's a good example for us for two reasons. First, Daniel was faithful year in and year out. I think sometimes uh, we get excited. Sometimes I get excited about certain things, uh, even, even the work of God. We spring up quickly. We have a lot of zeal, but after a while, things get hard, and we sort of peter out. We stop working for the Lord. Um, Perhaps you say, I read the book of Daniel, and there's all these miracles happening, and it doesn't happen in my life, 
and you feel like throwing in the towel, you feel like quitting, you're not seeing the fruit, you're not seeing things happen the way you envisioned them. But keep in mind, Daniel wasn't some sort of miracle machine here. Over 60 years, we have just five miraculous events. That's like one every 10 or 12 years. And this is a man who was one of the more righteous men and faithful men in the entire Bible. But we wouldn't have seen it. We wouldn't have seen these events if he'd thrown in the towel when it got hard. After the first event, after the second, after the third, we wouldn't have seen and we wouldn't be reading today of what he had done if he had quit, if he had, hadn't persevered. And I, and I want us to be people who, when we look at Daniel, we, we desire, we, we, yearn, we yearn for the things that he does. We yearn to follow his example of perseverance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says to us, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Again, in Galatians, Paul says, chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Daniel is this example to us of a man who for 60 years or more just persevered. He stuck with it. He didn't throw in the towel. And we see through his perseverance that God does some mighty things. Secondly, it's a, he's a good example because often uh, we look at people in their old age and they, they retire from a career and it seems more like they've retired from life itself. Uh, they sit around, their bodies atrophy, um, and, uh, and their mind and their body just sort of dissolve. They, they go away. Uh, they become sometimes self-indulgent, sometimes lazy. Um, but I think that like Daniel, a man some 80 years old, still working, it, it's a good example for us to find some work of the Lord, even if we retire from a career, to find some work of the Lord, something that we might put our, our, our life into something, we might put what even little energy we have into whatever our situation looks like, we might ask ourselves, what does, it mean, what does it look like for me in this point of my life to be a servant of God? What does it look like for me to be generous? What does it look like for me to be caring? What does it look like for me to use my mind and my hands, my heart and my soul for God still, even now? Daniel's a good example for that for us. Uh, so now, we, starting off chapter 6, we're just going to look, uh, go through this passage a little bit here. Uh, we see Daniel and two other men uh, who, are, who distinguish themselves and, and are put above the entire kingdom of Babylon. Under them, so, so we got these three, we can call them presidents or royal administrators, and under them, 120 satraps, you think of them as provincial or state governors, if you will, uh, but because Daniel, because Daniel was so excellent, he'd been doing this for 60 years, uh, he was good at it, he was faithful, he was so excellent, there was an excellent spirit within him, uh, there was something about Daniel, people wanted to be around him, his, his work ethic was contagious, but there was something about Daniel, the king, when the king saw him and saw his work, the king thought, I could just give my entire, my, my entire kingdom to this guy, and it would be better if I had these three guys running it. So, uh, the, the king gives Daniel, uh, he's going to give Daniel, he's going to promote them to the head of the nation, the, the prime minister to the king, the second in command. Um, and, it, and it reminds me of Luke chapter 16 when Jesus says, uh, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Uh, in time, Daniel is given these greater and greater responsibilities. But then we see 
uh, jealousy set in. The other two presidents, 120 governors, didn't like this idea. They didn't like the idea of Daniel, a righteous man, being over them. Uh, it's somebody to be accountable to. You've got to be accountable to a righteous man for, for all the little things you do. There's not going to be uh, any more overtaxing uh, so you can pocket the profits. There's not going to be uh, any more under-the-table business. There's not going to be any more bribery. There's not going to be any more um, just getting rid of or um, offing your enemies, those who are going to threaten your rule. No more of that. Not with Daniel in line. Not to mention that Daniel was a Jew. Right? Daniel was a Jew uh, from the, the land of Judah in exile, uh, basically uh, a glorified prisoner. His adversaries note this in verse 13, that he's in exile from Judah. They don't call him Daniel, the royal administrator. In verse 13, they say, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, just one of those guys, right? Uh, historically, we do notice an unnatural hatred or fear of the Jewish people. We saw it in Egypt with Pharaoh. We see it in the time of Esther and Nehemiah here in Daniel. Saw it in the mid-1900s, the Holocaust. Uh, we see it even today surrounding the surrounding Middle Eastern countries uh, and their hatred uh, for Israel and the Jewish state and the progressive academia and Western society's distaste for Israel. And we know that in the future there's going to be ongoing intolerance and hatred of the Jews going even into the end times. Uh, the nations and the peoples seem to have forgotten or disregarded the word of God that uh, those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed, speaking of Israel in Numbers chapter 24. Those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse it will be cursed. This is something that we ought to keep in mind. But because of their jealousy, whether it's because Daniel was a Jew or because Daniel was just a righteous man, they look for a way to take Daniel out based on his life. They say, let's find something in Daniel's life. Let's look around, see if there's any skeletons in his closet. So they go looking around. They go looking in the closet. They go uh, pulling up his receipts. They take out his... Uh, income tax statements, and uh, try to find something against him, but they can't find anything. They can't find anything. Uh, this is kind of, kind of politician that I want, Daniel here, right? Uh, one in a million, right? Kind of a politician, or maybe once in uh, a lifetime. Uh, he, and the Bible says here that he was neither corrupt nor negligent. I think this is hitting both sides of what it means to be righteous. Uh, corrupt we would call that the sins of commission, things you're actively doing that are wrong, things you actively do that are evil. Stealing, uh, cheating, lying, fighting, taking bribes, uh, etc. They looked at that Daniel, and he was not doing anything that was evil. He was not committing any evil. But neither was he negligent. Negligent, that would be a sin of omission, was failing to do something good. Uh, for, he didn't forget to do his paperwork. Uh, he wasn't letting his family fall apart. Uh, he wasn't not. He wasn't for paying his bills or forgetting to pay his bills. He was. Uh, he wasn't ignoring doing good to, to widows or orphans or these kind of things. He was a, a righteous man. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. Now he wasn't a perfect man without sin, but they couldn't find any way to blame him based on his life. Uh, this is the kind of person I, I aspire to be. Uh, when the temptation comes to do evil, I. I, I aspire and I ask God for strength that I would restrain myself from doing evil and that God would purify me. And when the, when the temptation comes to slack, um, I desire the strength from God to push forward and do the things I'm supposed to do, to take care of my proper responsibilities 
And this is the kind of man that Daniel was. There was no way they could find anything against him. He was a good politician. So they had to look elsewhere to take Daniel out. They, they looked to his devotion to God. And um, they, they, so they created some kind of plan. Um, this plan was, let's create a law where you can only pray to King Darius, the king, for 30 days. And the law, those who break the law will be thrown into the lion's den, punishable by death. Now, knowing Daniel, uh, an 80-year-old man uh, who had followed his God his entire life, Daniel's going to do what he's always done. He's 80 years old. He's stuck in his ways, I guess. But uh, he's also, he also loves his God. Um, they, they know that they could easily catch him. He's not going to be running. He, I don't know if he's very fast in his old age. Um, so they think, Daniel, he'll just keep praying. He'll just keep doing what he does. And we'll all come together as a group, find him. We have multiple witnesses against him. He'll be done in no time, executed by the end of the day. Now, the idea of praying to a president is foreign to us. Hopefully, it doesn't take place anytime soon. Um, but emperor worship was often practiced in the ancient world, up through the time, uh, you know, at the time of, of Rome, uh, Babylon beforehand, and the Medeans and Persians. Uh, it, was no, it was normal to think of a king uh, as either divine or some sort of demigod, uh, of which his, his words uh, were like the words of God himself. Um, and so, as a god, your words shouldn't be revoked either. You can't contradict yourself. And this is something um, that they are going to use against Darius. So these rulers knew that Darius loved Daniel. Darius wasn't just going to execute them. But if they could convince, if they could trick Darius to pass this law, then Darius would be unable to take back his, his words, lest he discredit the foundation of his rulership uh, or his uh, godlike uh, status. So why would Darius listen, though? It's just, this seems kind of random. Is it just flattery? What is it? Well, it could be strategy. If you think about it, uh, Darius the Medi, uh, in, at the end of chapter 5, we see that the Persians had just taken over Babylon, the, the kingdom of Babylon. So it could be strategy um, to ensure loyalty, uh, ruling with an iron fist, forcing people to worship the king and pay him reverence, pay him honor, give him homage, uh, to force them to assimilate into a new culture. Um, it, it's strategy there, but it's also a little bit of flattery. Uh, flattery, we know, puffs up. Love builds up. But it was all lies. It was all, it was all lies. Uh, first off, they, they came to the king and said, oh, king, all of us have gotten together. All the presidents, you know, all the royal administrators, all the satraps, all the governors, everybody's gotten together. We're all on the same page. But they forgot somebody. Daniel, he wasn't there, right? Daniel, the number one royal administrator, the guy who's going to take uh, the number one spot. Daniel, obviously not in on the conversation, so they lied about that. Um, there was no actual consensus on the law. I don't know if they forged Daniel's signature or what, uh, but the real reason uh, for this law was not to honor the king. It wasn't to protect the country from revolt. We, we read that the real reason was to execute Daniel because of their jealousy. Just like the enemies of all men, Satan, these men came to kill, steal, and destroy. And Darius hastily agreed, sealing the fate of Daniel. Uh, regardless of this decree, though, Daniel keeps on doing what he's always done. He continues to pray. He hears, the first thing he does when he hears of this is he goes home for his regular prayer time. Daniel prayed three times a day. 
thanking God, asking God for help. And it, he, wasn't, he didn't do it out of provocation. It wasn't a pro- provocative spirit. It wasn't a rebellious spirit. He wasn't angry uh, or rude. He wasn't lashing out against this decree. He was just continuing steadfastly, unswervingly in his service to God as he always had. Uh, and, and note, many commentators note here that uh, he, he didn't shut the windows. He didn't open the windows. The windows were open as it normally had, as it normally had. To shut the windows when they were normally open would be shrinking back. It would be cowardice. To, to open the windows when they were normally shut would be to, to coax or bring on martyrdom. It would be defiance. Nope, Daniel just did what he normally did. He just went up to his room, opened his windows, uh, and prayed toward Jerusalem, which was a common practice to pray towards Jerusalem for the Jews, especially those in exile. Um, I think uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes the child in me, the child in us, daydreams of being some sort of saving hero. Uh, especially this, this is, I think, true of men. Uh, we're driving down the road, and we're not really paying attention to the road. We're thinking of what it would look like if there was an accident, and we pulled over, and we jumped out of the car, and we ran to it, and there's flames, and we ripped the door, the door off, and pulled the people out, and resuscitated them, and you know, we're brought before the city, and we've got YouTube videos made of us and everything, and people bring us gifts and dinner and these kinds of things. Um, and we think of all the different ways that we could uh, be glorified. Um, sometimes we think of that is, as Christians, too. Well, if they ever made a decree like that, then I would do this. And we've, we scheme and we, we dream in our mind of how we could be the savior of even Christianity if the laws ended up changing this day if there was a decree like this. All the while, um, unlike Daniel, we, we, don't real, we realize that that might be a vengeful spirit, it might be a proud spirit. Daniel just continues to do what he always does. He prays, he serves, uh, and he does uh, his service to God faithfully. When I see the disciples facing persecution, I read of them singing, dancing, after being beaten because they were found worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. I read of them joyfully accepting the confiscation of our property. I I wonder sometimes if a decree like this were passed, uh, how much of us would be uh, outraged and uh, slander and bash uh, government or political officials uh, when the disciples uh, counted it as joy to suffer loss. I wonder if that spirit in us is because uh, we've become so attached to our things in this world. We've become so attached to our property. We've become so attached to our physical health and comfort that unlike the disciples, uh, we wouldn't be singing or rejoicing. I don't know if I would. We'll see. We'll see as the time passes. But Daniel and the apostles knew uh, that they had better and lasting possessions than what this world has to offer. I wonder if we have that same mindset. And then when, when I read, read this about Daniel, how he, he goes up to his room and, and keeps on praying, often it feels like, as, as, a, as a Christian, as a brother in the Lord, as somebody who's trying to seek God, seek His face, it feels like pulling teeth just trying to get people to read their Bibles, trying to get people to pray, especially younger people, uh, and obey Jesus. Um, I wonder if today, if this execution or this executive order were given, uh, how would it change our lives? If today, if there were a decree that said you can't pray for 30 days, I wonder, um, would, 
would you stop praying? 30 days. Oh, 30 days? That's not that bad. I don't pray that much anyway, so I don't want to get in trouble or anything. I'm not crazy. I'm not like super religious or whatever. I just wouldn't do it. Um, or would it not have an effect on you because you don't pray currently? I don't know. Or would you continue to pray like Daniel? Sometimes I wonder. Daniel here wouldn't be, would not be parted with his God. He would not be separated from his God, not one prayer, for he knew where real life was found. Real life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life consists in God himself. He knew that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He, Daniel knew that his struggle wasn't against men. His struggle wasn't against these other two presidents. It wasn't against the 120 governors. It wasn't against the king himself. He knew that his struggle, his real struggle in life, was against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in Washington, D.C. No, sorry. Uh, in, the, in the heavenly realms. That's, that's how it reads. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 6.12. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, of which our offensive weapon is prayer. Our offensive weapon is prayer. Um, so, these uh, conspirators had correctly anticipated Daniel's devotion to God. Daniel keeps doing what he's always doing. They come to Daniel's house as he's praying and find Daniel praying there. They take out their phones and snap pictures of him. I don't know how they do it. I think it's just a, a few witnesses. Two witnesses is enough, I believe. But the group of them goes to Daniel's house, and they find Daniel praying. So they report back to the king. King, didn't you sign this law? Yeah, we'll sign the law. We just, we just executed the papers on it. It's, it's good to go. We've got everything in place. They ask him, then why is Daniel, this Jew, not paying attention to the law? He still prays three times a day to this other God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Darius. He was about to promote Daniel. Daniel's his favorite, his favorite governor, his favorite president, his favorite ruler. Oh, no. What have I done? He loved Daniel. He liked Daniel. He was going to promote him. The king, this demigod. So what does he do? He tries all day long to find some sort of loophole uh, to get Daniel out of this punishment. The custom of the day when a criminal was found guilty of cap, uh, some sort of capital crime, uh, the punishment was to be accomplished that evening. If the witnesses came forward and they had trial that morning, they were to be executed that evening. So, Dan, or, so Darius, this king, has all day long, he's scrambling, trying to find loopholes. He's getting his team of lawyers together, trying to find a way to get Daniel um, you know, off the leash here. But he can't. There's no way to get him out. He was unable to save Daniel. This is such an irony, right? An entire nation is ordered and forced to pray to this king, and he can't even save one person. He can't even save one person. Doesn't sound like a king who's worthy of praise to me or prayer. We'll see if Daniel made the right choice in his prayers. So Daniel, because the king can't do anything, Daniel's ordered. They take him to this lion's den, hole in the ground, uh, and where the, the lions can't get out, they throw him in the lion's den. I think it's interesting, too, how the king was distressed when he heard this. His heart was distressed. His heart was anxious. He was worried. But we don't hear anything about Daniel being anxious or distressed or worried. It's as if Daniel was anxious for nothing. It's as if Daniel, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
presented his request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, was upon him. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Daniel didn't deserve this. This is as if Daniel trusted in his God. Also note, uh, what did Daniel do to deserve this? A man who is neither corrupt nor negligent, a man who is holy and righteous, he didn't do anything to deserve this. And I think oftentimes when something bad happens to me, when my tire goes flat or uh, when people don't pay me the proper compliments uh, or when things are breaking or falling apart and not working right in my life, we, we, we say things like, God, I've served you faithfully and this is how you repay me. We don't hear that from Daniel. We don't hear Daniel saying, God, I've served you year in, year out, and this is how you, you repay me. I was neither corrupt nor negligent. You abandoned me to death. No, Daniel doesn't say this. It's as if Daniel knew what he was getting himself into when he decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow God. No turning back, no turning back. To be, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to, on to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Persecution uh, of those who believe in God and trust in Him and are righteous is not strange. It will happen to those who believe in God. As Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. So the king then wishes him farewell. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. The king sits there at the entrance uh, and says to Daniel, Daniel, I hope your God, who you serve continually, is able to rescue you. Why? Because the king wasn't able to do it. They bring a stone, roll it over the mouth of the den, seal it. The king's own ring seals the fate, and the other royal administrators, they put their rings on there, seal it. Lions, they, they seldom fed them. Uh, just, just in case they had to do an execution that day, the lions were always hungry. So, uh, they, they knew that Daniel was going to be eaten in no time. Daniel's thrown in there. They seal it. It's quiet. Darius walks home. No food. No entertainment. Just alone. Nothing. I wonder if this king had ever spent a night like that. Uh, a night in solitude. A night fasting. I wonder if the, the king himself, whether in his heart or under his breath, I wonder if the king himself even said a prayer to God that night. I don't know. The God of Daniel. But he couldn't sleep all night long, just waiting, wondering. I hope, is Dan I hope Daniel is okay. And when the sky just started to change colors at dawn, he was dressed and ready to go. And he ran. He ran to that tomb. The last thing he said uh, was his hope for Daniel's God to save him. I hope your God whom you serve can save you. So the first thing he says is, did your God save you? So Darius, realizing his, his, his inability to do anything, turns to the only person who's ever done anything. When he looks back on Daniel's life, the king says, man, this God keeps on saving Daniel. Man, I hope your God can do it again. So the first thing he says, Daniel, is your, was your God, who you, whom you serve continually, able to save you? His voice is anguished that distress, that anxiety, that sleeplessness, it's still on him. The king pulling for Daniel against all hope, only an act of God could save him. And out of this tomb, Daniel answers. Daniel answers. And it's not an angry outburst. Yeah, God saved me and I hate you. <laughs> no. 
There's no, no condemnation, uh, kind and respectful words. May the, he, the first thing he says is, may the king live forever. What a gracious response, right, to a man who just threw you into a den of lions to, to execute you. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent, nor have ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Wow. Not angry, but kind and respectful, even in the face of persecution and suffering. And like his friends in the fiery furnace, Daniel was accompanied by an angel. Angel is a, a heavenly spiritual being sent to serve sent by God to serve those who will inherit salvation. Powerful enough, easily powerful enough to shut the mouths of starving lions. And so they take Daniel, they lift him up out of the den, um, and they find not even a scratch on him. I guess they threw him into the den gently for an 80-year-old man. Um, But it's because he had trusted in his God. And in Psalm 1610, it says again, you will not abandon me to death nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. So they're amazed, and the the tables here turn. And the king, in his fury, orders those who plotted against Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den along with their families. Whether or not it was all 122 of them, or whether it was just uh, the the ringleaders of the conspiracy, um, they were thrown in with their families. And this is a principle in the Bible. Psalm 7, chapter 7, verses 14 through 16 says, Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. The command that wives and children be thrown in with conspirators seems harsh. And it is. It is harsh. If not the laws of Israel, these are the laws of the Medes and Persians, or the customs. The Israelites, there was a law that said uh, that a son would not die for the sins of his father, nor the father die for the sins of his son. Each were to die for their own sins. So if this were to take place in Israel, it would just be the conspirators who were executed. But this took place in the, uh, in the Persians and Medeans culture, and it was common, and it was easier uh, if men were executed to execute their entire families. Uh, it's easier to do that than to have uh, the worry of an assassin potentially growing up from that family or, or some sort of revolt or, re- or, or rebellion on your hand. Just if you off them all, it's easier. So that was what the king did. And then the king issues a decree for all people to fear and reverence the God of Daniel. The king has a change of heart because of the power of God, because of the faithful witness of Daniel, this king who once practiced idolatry now practices the worship of the living God. Notice here also that Darius, a king of this world, just a man, was only supposed to be prayed to for 30 days, but this edict, this decree that he issues about the God of Daniel had no termination period. There was not, it wasn't 30 days, it was an ongoing reality, which is fitting and real for the true and living God. And then it says at the end that Daniel prospered. Daniel prospered. Daniel was faithful. God was faithful to him to take care of him, and Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so I read all this, and I notice uh, that Daniel was faithful to God, and God was faithful to Daniel. And it's a wonderful story of the power of God to deliver, 
in different situations. But as on the road to Emmaus when Jesus was with his disciples, the Bible is a picture uh, and a story that revolves around Jesus Christ and leads up to him. And Jesus explained to his disciples on the road to Emmaus how all of Scripture was about him and concerned him. So this story of Daniel and the lion's den is really a story about and a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ and what he would do. Notice also that Jesus was conspired against by those jealous of his rising position. Notice also that Jesus, though perfect and without sin, was sentenced to death, fulfilling the requirement of the law. Notice also that Jesus was laid in a tomb, sealed with a rock covering the opening. Notice also that because Jesus was without sin, that death could not hold him down, but God was powerful enough to raise him from the tomb. That, that Jesus, by the power of God, was removed from death. Notice also that today, Jesus is the instrument of blessing and prosperity to all nations, that the message has gone out through all the world, that people might receive everlasting life through belief in the Son of God, which is the only means decreed by God. Uh, and those who oppose Jesus will fall into the very trap they've set, the suffering of death for eternity. And just like uh, the decree of Darius, so also there is no termination point to the reign of Jesus. There will, there will be no end to his praises and his reign. I have made you a priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. So Daniel was a faithful man. He was faithful in work. He was faithful in life. He was faithful in prayer. And I desire and I desire us to be as faithful as Daniel. And God is faithful too. He's faithful to save in this life. We are to taste and see that the Lord is good, that God is worth praying to. He answers our prayers. He did it for Daniel. He's done it for me on many occasions. He'll do it for you. This room is full of people who've witnessed the miraculous hand of God's salvation through perilous trials. We've got to remember what he's done in the past and that we've got to trust God that he will deliver us and he will be faithful to us through our future trials. And we have to, we have to note that Jesus is faithful and able to save us eternally. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them, Hebrews 7, 25. We know that, uh, that Daniel, that his life came to an end one day, as every life does, and that is in God's complete control. Uh, not, not even a hair from our head can fall to the ground without God allowing it, and especially of true believers. Jesus was faithful to us to purchase for us a place in eternity. For those of us who have accepted his gift of eternal life, we have confidence in this life and, and even more confidence in death. Do you have that? Do you have that confidence in God? That he's able to save in this life and that he's able to save in death. That same confidence that Daniel has is the same confidence that's on the table for us, free for the taking. We don't work for it. We don't buy it. It's a gift, and it's free. Jesus says to us, come, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is our faithful Savior, uh, and He is the only means by which God has decreed eternal life. Uh, he will take care of us in this life, and He will take care of us in the life to come. May we trust in Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You for this beautiful day. We thank You for the gift of eternal life through Your Son, Jesus. Thank You for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank You for Your continuing faithfulness to us in, in this life, day in and day out. You care for our needs. Every good and perfect gift comes from You. We thank You for these, Lord. We pray in this time, God, as we worship and praise you through song, that you would fill our hearts with gratitude towards you, that we would think of all the ways that you've cared for us, Lord. You are so faithful. We praise you, God. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to take a communion together. Communion is, communion is the remembrance of what God has done for us through Jesus. That Jesus, he broke his body for us on the cross, fulfilling the just requirement of the law that we would not have to be broken for eternity. And he poured out his life, his blood for us, that we can have eternal life, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be washed clean. So as we take communion together, we remember this, that Jesus has done for us, and we celebrate because of his kindness. If you need prayer for anything today, We've got people on both sides of the stage. I'll be down front, able to pray with you. If you want that same confidence that Daniel had in this life and in the life to come, come pray with us. But join me as we celebrate communion together.